Good morning, church. My name is Tim Power. I'm one of the pastors here at Salem. It is really, really awesome to be worshiping alongside you guys today. Uh, before I get to, to this movie that we're talking about, Soul, uh, I got a question. Who here has a junk drawer in their house? Wow. If you don't know what I mean by a junk drawer, it's the kind of drawer that you fill with all sorts of random, seemingly useless stuff. Uh, maybe it's got a house key for locks that you don't have anymore. Uh, maybe it's got a spool of yarn, some rubber bands, and an Allen wrench that came with a piece of furniture. And you don't know which piece of furniture, but you know you can't throw it out, right? That's the kind of thing you find in a junk drawer. And so I'm glad to know I'm not the only one who has a junk drawer. Actually, in my bedroom, I have a drawer that looks probably to a lot of people like a junk drawer. And I, and I brought this today, okay? Um, and it, it, it looks like it's filled with junk. It's got a lot of random items that probably don't seem that useful or important, but they're important to me. In fact, um, uh, a couple of months ago, my wife came up to me and said, uh, actually, it was when I was getting home from work, she said, Tim, I cleaned out your junk drawer today. And I said, what? Junk drawer? Junk drawer? Do you mean you cleaned out my most precious priceless memories drawer? She said, yeah, your junk drawer. I cleaned it out. But I, I was very glad to know that she hadn't cleaned it out and thrown stuff away. She just kind of organized things because the stuff in that drawer, she could definitely be forgiven for thinking that it was junk because it really does look like that. In fact, so, so I have some of the things. I, I brought some of these things with me today. This is my first business card for my first job out of college. Lindy Healthcare, Tim Power Consultant. Consultant. You know what that means? Nothing. It means it's your first job out of college. But I was so excited. I had a business card. So I kept this business card. Got some other things. I've got this. This is my first Bible. Just recently got this again. This is presented to Tim Power by Miss Penny, my first uh, Bible school teacher, Sunday school teacher. It, uh, it was September 2nd, 1984. I was two years old when I got that. I got this. This is the first music recording I was ever a part of. So it was my, my, it was my high school. Um, I wouldn't even say high school. I was probably in middle school when I recorded this. My middle school Christian metal band. That's us. Thank you, Jacob, for finding that. Can you find me in that picture? So, so I say Christian. That was really, um, that's really generous. We did not sing much about the love of Jesus. We just liked the book of Revelations. And like, you know, when it talked about a beast and, and with a thousand eyes and like the moon turning to blood, that's what we sang about. So, so that's one of the things I have in this. I have this watch. This is a watch my dad gave me before he passed away. It has my name on it. So, I'm showing you all of this stuff because it probably looks like a junk drawer, right? But, but see, to me, this stuff is really important. All these little things would not get me much at a garage sale, right? But they're so meaningful to me. And to me, when you put all these things together, it adds up to something that I think is pretty important, which is my life, right? So... 
We've been in all of August, we've been in this sermon series at the movies. And, and the, the point is, what, what we've done is had the pastors pick out movies that we find personally meaningful, that we feel like we learn messages, and maybe even some things that tie into spiritual messages. Parts of God's bigger story shine through in some of these stories. Uh, I mentioned this last week. Stories are really important. Stories are really, really important. As I, as I told you guys last week, there's a lot of uh, uh, psychology that'll tell you now that hearing a story is more apt to change your mind than seeing data or evidence. So if you really want somebody to agree with you or kind of come to your way of thinking, you're probably going to have better luck by telling them a powerful story that reinforces your point than just giving them the cold hard facts. And I think that this is one of the reasons why our Bible, the Holy Scriptures, is, is mostly written in a narrative form. It's a story. It's a love story of God's love for you and God's love for me. For me. So anyway, I picked this, this movie, Soul. How many folks have, have seen this movie? So parents, especially parents of young children, know this. This movie came out in the summer of 20. 20. That was a time where I, at least, and our family had gone through all of Netflix. Right? We, so so we, were, we were months into the pandemic. We had gone through, uh, we had gone through all of Netflix. We just got Disney Plus, and we had gone through all of that, even The Mandalorian. We did it all. And then we had gone through, we were watching YouTube. We, we were just sick of everything that was out. So it came at a perfect time, and when it came out, it was, it was exciting for our family. But if you haven't seen the movie, it's really great. It's a story about a middle school band teacher who, who's, who's a middle-aged guy but is a really committed teacher named Joe. He, he likes his job. He does, and he feels a lot of purpose in his job, um, teaching kids music, but, but he still has this dream that never really got fulfilled. His dream was to become a famous jazz musician. Now, early on in the movie, he gets a huge break. He gets a chance to play piano for one night with the legendary saxophone player named Dorothea Williams. Now, Joe is so excited about this opportunity. He's rushing about town. He's trying to get a, a suit for the occasion. He's trying to get everything he can in order, and he steps into an open manhole and dies. Now, it would not be a Disney or a Pixar movie if it didn't start with a terrible, traumatizing death. Am I right, parents? So Joe goes to the great beyond, and the great beyond actually is made up of two places. The great beyond where souls go to when they pass away from this earth. And then there's the great before. Now, Joe is not really ready. He really wants to play that gig. He's not ready to die. And he actually finds this way where he can get to the great before, where souls are not quite ready uh, to be born. And he is able to act for a little while as a mentor to an unborn soul. Now, the way it works there, it's not exactly Christian theology. The way it works there is that the unborn souls need to have a complete earth pass. And that means they have to have a full personality, and then they have to have what they call a spark. It's that thing that really makes them want to live. It makes life worth living, that, that spark, that purpose, that meaning. So Joe is supposed to be a mentor for this, this unborn soul named number 22. Now, I know how complicated this already sounds, so um, I'm going to try to get to the first clip so you can just kind of get a feel for what I'm talking about. Now, she doesn't have her earth pass yet because 
she's never found her spark and she finds no real purpose in, in life and doesn't really want to be born. So I want to set up this first clip. Joe and his uncooperative student, number 22, are able to sneak back on earth. Remember, Joe wants to go back into his body and play that gig. That's his, his really, it, he feels like my whole life is building to this one purpose and I'm not going to get to fulfill it. So um, they do get back to earth. They sneak their way back, but it doesn't go as planned because number 22 ends up in Joe's body and Joe ends up in the body of a cat. Not exactly what he planned. Anyway, some really pre profound things happen in this movie that, that, that I, I want to bring your attention to. But I want you to see this clip. And I, I love when, when uh, number 22, in Joe's body, reaches into her pockets, his pockets, and starts pulling out little things. Just, just little things that, that over the course of the movie had meaning, made, made life worth living. And, and Joe is dismissive. That's just regular old-fashioned living. And eventually, they were able to switch bodies back, um, and, and Joe uh, gets back to being himself, and he's able to do what he always wanted. He gets to play that gig with Dorothea Williams, and he kills it. Yes, I know that's a pun for this movie. He kills it. He, he does great, but after the gig, he's wondering what now. Has anybody been there? Like, like everything in your life seems to be building towards something. This one thing that you're supposed to tr accomplish, you've been working, 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 working towards something, and then you get there, and then afterwards you're like, well, what now? What now? He lived his whole life and his whole death looking forward to one big moment. It's happened, and he's not happy. And, and that's where we're going to meet Joe in this, this last clip here. See, Joe was, was looking for his purpose in life, and one big thing, one big accomplishment, one defining moment, but, but I think it's so profound in that scene, in this quiet moment at the piano, he figures out that, that life's not about one big thing. It's not about one big moment, it's about a million tiny ones. And, and I actually believe that's true about our spiritual lives as well. I'm going to read this passage. This comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Maybe it's a story you've heard before. It says this, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had, do all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, uh, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leave recognized, uh, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. By this time, it was, so, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's, very, it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. Say that to somebody around you. You give them something to eat. We're going to cover that a little bit later. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, he's, they said, 
five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups and on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up in heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Maybe you've heard this story before. They call it the feeding of the 5,000. Basically what happens is that Jesus is uh, with his disciples, and all these people keep following. A big group of people follow them everywhere. And so Jesus has compassion on them, so he doesn't send them away. He's tired, but he, he teaches but then they're, they're out in a field, right? And so, so the disciples say, you've got to send these people away. Send them away so that they can get some food. And Jesus said, do you remember that, what I had you tell each other? I said this, you feed them, right? That's what Jesus tells his disciples. You feed them. Well, wow, thanks, Jesus. Right? How would you feel if that's what you... There's 5,000 people here. And then what Jesus does is say, well, what do you have? And they, they gather up what they have. It's not a lot. It's going to run out pretty quickly. And then he has the disciples just pass it out. But something miraculous happens, right? The more they pass out, the more there is to give. And it ends up that in the end of the day, everybody eats all they want, and they've still got 12 baskets full of broken bread and fish. Now, this story, the feeding of the 5,000, is an important story in the life of Jesus. It's the only miracle, hear this, the only miracle that's included in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's interesting, you know, when, when I was growing up, this was not the story, miracle that Jesus did that I was drawn to, because nobody gets raised from the dead, nobody gets healed of a deadly illness, Nobody grows a new hand. In fact, there's this miracle I loved when I was a kid where Jesus heals a blind man by spitting in the mud and rubbing it on his eyes. That is tailor-made for little schoolboys, isn't it? I mean, when I heard that, I was like, see, Mom, I'm just trying to heal people. But see, that was the kind of miracle I liked. This one, I mean, it's cool, but he's just making more food. Is that, is that such a great miracle? Well, well really, it is. And, and especially, I'm, I'm a dad of three growing boys. Having more than enough food around really is a miracle. I promise you. But I, I want to look at something really unique about this miracle that, that's different from most of the miracles that you see in the life of Jesus. And it's that verse 37 that I told you to say to somebody close by. When they say, where are we going to get food? He says this, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. What's unique about the miracle is that Jesus invites his disciples to be a part of what he's doing, to take part in the miracle. Here's something I think about when I, when I read this, especially this, this version of the miracle, because as I said, it's in four Gospels. It may not have looked like a miracle to all the people who ate. Think about it. It may not have looked like a miracle to all the people who ate. They came up and they got their little portion, right? But think about being a disciple. Think about being one of those guys who had to stand there thinking, this is going to run out, this is going to run out. Oh my gosh, this is going to run out. And then they see somebody coming, they're like, oh, they, this is definitely going to run out before that guy comes up. 
this is going to run out. But they give a little, and they give a little bit more. And it's a miracle that doesn't happen all at once. It's a miracle that happens in a million tiny pieces, right? There's a pastor and a theologian I really like named Fred Craddock, and he wrote a little, uh, a little bit about this miracle in one, of, in one of his commentaries. He says this, both about this miracle and, and, and what it means to follow Jesus. Listen to this. To give my life for Christ seems glorious, right? To pour myself out for others, to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. We think giving our life to Jesus is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on a table. Here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank and has us cash in the $1,000 for quarters. We go through life putting out 25 cents here and 50 cents here. Listen to the neighbor kid's troubles instead of saying, get lost. Go to a committee meeting. Give a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. See, usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory, but see, it's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. So, so like we, we learned in that movie, right, that life is about a million little moments. And, and life with Jesus is actually an opportunity to take part in a, little million, a million little miracles. It's a million little steps towards the next right thing. You give them something to eat. They may not feel like miracles right now. Really, they don't look like miracles when you're standing close. You just give what you got. You just give the little that you have in your hand right in that moment. But then you look back over a lifetime and you can see the 5,000. See, while, we, while we're asking, me and you, all of us gathered here, while we're asking God, what's my mission, Lord? What's my purpose? God is asking us, what's right in front of you? What is the tiny act of love that you can take part in, partner with me in right now? What is the next right thing? Not down the road, not someday, but right now. You give them something to eat. So I know that there's a lot of people, maybe some in this room, who don't believe that miracles happen. I am looking at a room full of potential miracles. Will we say yes, not just to our mission down there, but to what is in front of us right now? I'm going to invite our band back up to the stage. So we, uh, we did a new song a couple of weeks ago uh, that, man, it's, you ever get this where a song just kind of, oh, it wrecks you a little bit? When I say wrecks, I mean, like, it, it just emotionally just rings you out. 
it was one of those songs, and, 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 and the theme is very similar to what we're talking about right now, is, is that God works miracle after miracle, and it really sometimes takes a whole lifetime for us to, to get the picture, right? To get the picture of what God is doing and what God wants to use you to do. So I'm going to just ask you to, um, to stand to your feet. And, and I want to use this song not just as a song to be enjoyed, which I do enjoy it, but as, as a time of prayer for all of us to be listening, God, when you say you give them something to eat, what does that mean for me? What does that mean not later, not down the road, right now? What is the miracle you want to partner with me on right now? What is the tiny act of love, the 25 cents I'm giving out a little bit at a time? What is that for me right now? And so as we sing this song, I just want you to be open. You can sing along with the words. They'll be up on the screen. But I also just want you to spend a moment just saying, God, speak to me. Maybe that's new for some of you. You think, well, God, I've never heard God speak. For me, it, it, it tends to just be in little impressions. It just tends to be in, in little whispers of sometimes even things I already know in my own head. Oh, I know God was telling me that. And, and, and it's just me making the space to listen. I also want to make space if, if, if this whole God thing, this whole Jesus thing is new to you, and, and you don't know what it's really all about. What Christianity is really about is that we believe that we all fall short, we're not perfect, but God is. And that God loved us so much that he gave up his own son as a sacrifice for our sins. And so to follow Jesus just means we're not in control anymore. We give that all to God. We say, God, take my life and do miracles a little bit at a time. And so if you've never said yes to that, maybe that could be something that happens while we do this song. You just say a yes in your heart. God, I want you. I want my life to count for something, maybe even a little bit at a time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and just seek God's face.